2: Joe and Golic, so let's do a little college football reset here. We talked about the insanity of who didn't get in, but let's talk about who is actually in. Okay, so we got Michigan, obviously Big Ten champion. Washington, Pac-12 champion. Texas joining us as well. Big 12 champion, Alabama, SEC champ. Top four teams who made it into the playoff. And just to recap, I know we've been here. FSU becomes the first unbeaten Power Five conference winner to ever miss out on the college football playoff Georgia became the first team to be number one in the penultimate rankings but slide out of the top four Florida State number four in the previous college football rankings prior to Sunday selections no team ranked outside the top six of the second to last CFP rankings had ever jumped into the final four Alabama Texas both accomplished that feat on Sunday so guys as if we haven't talked about this enough absolute chaos that we got over the weekend, how do we make sense of it all now?
0: Yeah, I I think an interesting place to start in making sense of it is still where we began with all this. Every year, Dad, we've talked about what the bcs had done the predecessor to this system there the old computers that used to pick out the teams that would play as a child of the bcs era and a beneficiary of said computer i think our robot overlord in that one instance but really it was after the alabama lsu incident that people decided hey we might need a human system to lay eyes on this thing but what we've noticed is every year that we've done the cfp the bcs computers that people can still run the formula that went into that would have produced the same four teams some years in different orders but it had always been the same four teams in the nine previous iterations of the college football Mm -hmm. playoff until this year you look at the bcs simulation for this season dad they would have had michigan at one washington at two so same as the cfp committee there then they would have had alabama at three florida state at four and Texas on the outside looking in at five, which dad, I don't know what that says to you. To me, it says there's never been a perfect system. Perfect no, is the yeah. enemy of great when it comes to trying to wrangle the most chaotic sport that we have in North America in college football. A sport that is loved by many and governed by none and has some pseudo authority in the college football playoff committee in this area that had to, in this case, write what I think would have been the wrong of putting a one loss ca- conference champion Alabama ahead of a one loss conference champion yeah. Texas team that beat them during the beat regular them, yeah. season, but would have yeah. rewarded Florida State because dad clearly in this computer mind they wouldn't factor in the quarterback the same way that right. this, B, this uh, CFP committee decided and stated over and over was the biggest factor in their decision making
1: and that's the biggest difference is when you put all through all this into the computer it doesn't it doesn't compute Jordan Travis not being there so that puts FSU in just like we know the human committee if Jordan Travis was didn't get injured they would be in the final four this all came down to one person. Uh, the quarterback for Florida State. And that is it, or they would have been in. Yeah, because even with the BCS, I would disagree because Texas beat Bama head-to-head. I would have Texas in uh, over Alabama. So... You know, everything is eventually going to settle down. I do think it was egregious. I do think Florida State should have had the chance. They should be ticked yep. off, though. As we'll talk about, they'll play Georgia in the Orange Bowl. But you know, in a few days, we'll kind of move on. We'll look at bowl matchups. We'll look at these semifinals and look at what good games they could be. The Alabama-Michigan game might take an hour and ten minutes uh, to play uh, with all the running. I think that's going to go on in that one. We got plenty of time to look at that. So. But I I, I just, and I know you do too, as former players, feel awful for Florida State. You did every single thing you were supposed to do, even when you lost your quarterback. You still went out and did everything you were supposed to do. And because you didn't look pretty enough on offense, because you weren't the pretty girl at the dance on offense, the committee said, go stand by the wall. Uh, You're not going to be on the dance floor. And to me, that's a damn shame
0: yep and 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 some people will say this is what the committee was exactly designed to do was look at these scenarios and try and save us from an outcome to get the best of that best most deserving thing that had been thrown out that had largely been a sham it had largely been most deserving during the first nine years of the college football playoff it hadn't been a bunch of that other stuff mixed in it had been like we said adhering to what the computers would have put out there which is cold hard reality about what you'd accomplished on the field i still can't help but feel like if florida State had the Ten or the SEC logo on the side of their helmets, we would have looked at those last two wins and said, "Hey, they found a way to win. They had their third-string quarterback in in the conference title game and managed to win. And they were going to get their second-string quarterback, like Tate Rodemaker, was going to be back under center. It was a concussion that kept him out of the ACC title game. And so, if you're factoring like the committee is supposed to, injuries that might affect what you're going to get going forward." that injury was going to be remedied it wasn't going to be jordan travis but you also weren't going to be on your third string quarterback going into the college football playoff and for some reason that did not factor strongly enough in this despite like you said the defensive performance the rushing performance all these other things that matter in football but apparently don't matter in this discussion
1: do you think that the committee went down this road because it was the last year and they didn't worry about setting any kind of precedent because next year we go to 12 now we'll still have discussions next year down, you know, maybe eight through 14, but this will involve one loss, two loss, maybe three loss teams, but probably at the most two loss teams. But uh, do you think they went down this road because they didn't have to worry
0: about this road again? No, I don't think, like, subconsciously – I think subconsciously a lot of this stuff factors in. Like, when I talk about the conference, like, subconscious biases, that's exactly what I'm stating. I don't think this was collusion. I don't think this was a calculated effort to rub com- some conference's nose in it because they're not a connected TV partner or they're not a money conference or every. There's none of that conspiracy going on here. I think it's the subconscious bias of, hey, we've seen the SEC be the dominant conference in college football for a long time. We know the Big Tens had the other great national championship-winning team. Teams in here in the interim outside of clemson and the acc who again because they were down this year i do think that's another thing that factors in your normal known commodity was not there as a foil for this florida state team in the way that they otherwise could and should have been if we were predicting this before the season so no dad i think what they did is i think they actually thought hey we're going to get what we believe are the best teams in there when you hear boo in the committee chair say they relied on the coaches in the room to answer the question of if you were a coach on a team who would you most be afraid of playing in there and man you saw the reaction in the michigan room when they announced alabama it was a little bit of a tepid response there which kind of signaled to that which again that's not a criteria but that's how i'm sure they thought about that in terms of how they quantify or qualify who the best quote unquote team
1: is so let me ask you this and we'll never get the answers boo corrigan is never going to say this do you think fsu was out before the, the championship games were even played do you think they were they were going to jump them All because Jordan Travis was hurt, because that's what they're hanging their hat on. And if you don't think that... What more did Florida State need to do? Because the one thing the committee would have had to look at is, you got a f- true freshman playing that won't be playing in the semis. You would go back to your backup quarterback quarterback and Rodemacher. So what would they need to do? They had 219 yards of total offense. They ran the ball for 164 yards in this game. Certainly the, again, the quarterback didn't put up great stats but he would not have been the quarterback in the semis. And that defense how Louisville to 188 total yards. So if they were waiting to see how Louisville looked... To me, it wasn't about how the quarterback looked because he wasn't going to be playing in the semis. It would have been Rodemaker, So they either had it in their mind that Florida State was out because Travis wasn't going to be in there, or they were waiting for some magical play by this offense that would have said, you know, instead of beating him by 10, they beat him by 20, and now we're going to put him in. Which direction do you think they were leaning?
0: I I think it was much more in that, hey, if it wasn't Jordan Travis after what they saw in the Florida game where Tate Rodemaker, it wasn't some offensive tour to force through the air. And that's ultimately Dad, What they seem to define this by is despite the fact that in that game, Iowa was in terms of efficiency, the 15th ranked defense in college football when you look at the or excuse me, the fifth-ranked defense in college football that Michigan faced in the Big Ten Championship, Louisville was 15th in defensive efficiency, so not a far cry from them there. Louisville right. put up more total yards in their game against – or excuse me, Florida State put up more total yards against Louisville in their conference championship game than Michigan put up total yards against Iowa's defense in theirs. But because it's not fear of the unknown – That's what I think crept in here is, yeah, J.J. McCarthy and that Michigan offense didn't look great necessarily in any portion of that game against that Iowa defense, but we've seen them be great, but we know what they can do in those situations. It's fear of the unknown, I think, in this spot for these voters when it comes to Florida State at that particular position is not knowing what you're going to get relative to what they've seen, not giving them the account for Dad. What are we talking about? The resilience. Hey, you find a way to win. You win in different ways. The defense stepped up, the rushing attack stepped up, all these things that we say in a normal football sense that did not matter when they were projecting this forward, despite the resume that Florida State walked into the party with. So in now
1: going forward, everybody's saying, well, you know what? If Florida State beats Georgia in the Orange Bowl, that'll really show maybe they belong. That's a bunch of crap, all right? people understand bowl games are just what I, the word I use, a crapshoot. You have no idea who's playing. They're going to match up in this Orange Bowl. I guarantee you Brock Bowers, who would be the best player on the field, will not be in this game. He's coming off the ankle injury, and he's going to be the, what, a top 10, maybe top 5 draft pick next year in the draft. So I would, I don't know this for a fact, but I don't think he's going to be anywhere near the field. We don't know who else is not playing in these bowl games. So to sit there and say, if Florida. State beats georgia in the orange bowl that would prove maybe prove that they should have been in the final four that that's garbage
0: and and that shouldn't be how we do this this isn't about <clears throat> no. them having to prove it retroactively because they proved it on the field they did, they did everything yes. that we asked of them to do and they didn't flinch and they got it done and anywhere else that would be rewarded except for right here and so we do have that matchup which by the way Looking at the Orange Bowl press conference yesterday, the Zoom conference they had yeah. with these guys, this is Mike Norvell talking about the reaction of his team in the Orange Bowl presser yesterday.
2: You know, I was just hurt for our players. I mean, to be honest with you, that was uh, um, you know, it's one of the tougher moments that I've had to experience. And you know, just for all that they've done, you know, you talk you you talk to a team about uh, you know, responding to adversity, getting up, and going to. Uh, uh, give all that you can to be able to find a way to win a college football game. And, you know, like Coach Smart said, it is hard. I mean, it's hard to do. It's hard to, um, you know, to, especially when you face some of the adversities that, that we've had uh, you hear this year, whether it's injury or just different things to overcome.
0: It, it had to be brutal. And now trying oh. to reset them mentally, and preparing this game, Dad, whatever happens, you could kind of understand given all the variables that you presented there. And the problem is, we're trying to use a bunch of the same metrics and situations where you could refute any of them, right? Like, uh, you've seen plenty of people who I'm sure would make the argument hey, if you didn't put Alabama in after all they've done this season, after scheduling that Texas game and keeping it on the schedule, why would you be incentivized to schedule tough out of conference games? You know who else is saying that? Florida State. You know yes. who's also saying, hey, guys, you know what? Why why schedule tough out of conference is Michigan because no disrespect to a UNLV team. That's going bowling and Barry Odom's done a great job with that squad, but that was their toughest out of conference matchup. And so if you're looking at that scenario, there's a lot of people outside of Alabama that would be wondering, Hey, why exactly did we schedule this game? If all of a sudden it wasn't going to matter in this way. So it's always going to be inconsistent because not everybody I believe is being judged by the same standard across this, because we clearly do not view every power five conference as the same, right? Now,
1: say it right there. I mean, we've talked about the Michigan and Georgia schedule all year, and how easy it was till you were coming to the end. You know, between when Michigan was Penn State and Ohio State, and in my opinion, Penn State in the area of Ohio State and Michigan, Penn State to me is overrated. I, I, you know, everybody talked about the triumphant there. I, I did not see Penn State belonging with either one of those teams. I didn't think they were good enough to do that. So, and Georgia's schedule coming to the end as well. And there's Florida State who does, as you mentioned, goes out of conference on the road to two SEC teams and beats them. It just, it just doesn't. I, I don't know what Mike Norvell could say to his team, Mike, when that happened no. to just well throw your hands up, throw your hands up, and just and just. Say, guys, I don't know what to tell you. I'm sorry. You've done everything we've asked of you. And that's what coaches say in the beginning of every year, right? Believe in us. Do what we say. Let's do this together. Buy into this system and great things will happen. That team did all of it and win a major conference title with a third-string quarterback and they're left out. Could you imagine if Mike Norvell runs into Boo Corrigan somewhere, what that conversation might be? That's going to be
0: real, real uncomfy. Yeah. I will say what Florida State has the chance to do, because let's put this out of the way right now for people that might walk in with the idea of, well, if you're Florida State, would you rather live with feeling jilted and be able to say that for the rest of your lives than going and potentially getting your ass whooped in the CFP oh, and experiencing reality? I could tell you as come someone on. who lived that experience, I would take that national championship <laughs> ass whooping 10 out of 10 times if Absolutely. it meant that we were going to the national championship 10 out of 10 times. Much the same way way that those Florida State players would have loved the opportunity to go out there and at least find out and should have been afforded the opportunity to do so that being said dad claim a national title if you win this Orange Bowl matchup against Georgia, do what UCF ha. did: hang the banner, yeah. claim that the greatest era of college football is where people were just claiming championships yeah. left and right. You get enough people to agree with you, a couple of the right writers or outlets. Go ahead and claim that thing, hang the banner. Nothing is real. All of this is anarchy. Eat Arby's, hey, hang banners.
1: It'd be like the banner going up, just like the NBA in-season tournament champ banner going up, right? <laughs> just F- raise it up. We're
0: champions. We are champions. So the funny part about all of this too, Dad, is, and again, I've said, this is kind of where we're at with college football, where so much of the sport has been about this chase for casual eyeballs it's the conference realignment moves that are creating these super conferences that are going to be a tv bonanza that give us way more of the big rating helmet games that we've seen dominate the last few years on the airwaves and we're doing some things in the sport that i don't think are good for our long-term health i mean god watching all of the pac-12 mascots down on the field for the pac-12 yeah. title game that was sensational to start to legitimately made me emotional in a way that i wasn't ready for realizing that. That conference is gone and in the picture of a bunch of these costume animals that now won't have homes for some reason that's what drove it home for me in a way that was profoundly sad because of what that conference even as someone who has railed against conferences and made fun of all you weirdos for your affiliations as an independent school my entire life there is part of me that appreciated the familiarity of what college football had been a sport defined by geography defined by these regional differences in the fan bases in the style Of play that for so long had made the sport good, and we're kind of forsaking a lot of that in the name of getting the best matchups more often, more possible. And there are things that'll help; it'll even out the scheduling in a way that might make the sport easier to digest at some point here. But seeing all of that happen right now is kind of what's going on with this playoff. Is we're going to get an objectively better TV product without Florida State in there, I think, and I think most of us think if we're in an honest moment there. But that doesn't, even with an expanded playoff on the way, feel like it sends the right message about the things that are supposed to matter to us in this sport. That, as I heard Booger McFarlane railing against, isn't supposed to be a beauty pageant, but now has some of that lipstick on its face after this.
1: Completely agree. So, and one of the games we really haven't, haven't mentioned because it was the first one Friday night. What a game by Washington. You mentioned you thought man Washington might be, the num- might be the number one seed because I picked Washington at the beginning of the year, so I'm happy I was right in putting them in the Final Four, but I did not pick them to win that game. I thought oh, we both picked Oregon. I thought we both thought Oregon had been playing better, and they had been playing better. But man, Washington came out and played some ball, another three-point game, 34-31 to punch their ticket, and I'm with you. I wouldn't have been stunned if they ended up being the number one seed uh, in this game. Let me Let me ask you this, because you you have the voting. Any of this enter into your Heisman vote at all, or where are we at?
0: I mean, listen, all of it factors. 13th data point, just like the committee. All of it will be considered, and that Heisman voting closes today, and I vote an after-conference championship weekend. I want to see all of that factored into this process. So it's absolutely going to be a part of it, both good and bad, for some people involved here. But, Dad, you mentioned Washington. So for anyone unaware, the highest-seeded ranked seat, the highest team in the college football playoff gets a chance to determine which bowl game they're going to play in, which semifinal site based on geography. And this year we have the Rose Bowl as one of the semifinal games and the Sugar Bowl. So you've got California and Texas, or excuse me, California and uh, New Orleans featured in this and you're going to have Michigan facing Alabama in the Rose Bowl, and Washington's going to play Texas in the Sugar Bowl there. If Washington had been the one seed, they'd have been playing on the yep. West Coast and what would have felt right. a lot more like a home game. And you look, more top 25 wins than Michigan, five versus three, better strength of record, one versus two than Michigan, better strength of schedule, 11 versus 33 than Michigan in this game. They absolutely should feel jilted so, for not being the one seed.
1: Yeah, so, so ask the, I mean, the committee, why? Why wasn't Washington number one? I mean, all the, all the stinking metrics that we've looked at, you guys ranked Oregon where you ranked them both times. Washington beat them. And Mike just mentioned the other stats. I, I don't get it. I, I, I just don't get it. That I was almost expecting that. And you go to give it to Michigan that plays a cake schedule until the end of the season. Listen, and I'm taking nothing away. Michigan is a hell of a team and may very easily could win the national championship. But you, want, you talk about Alabama deserving to be in over Florida State. Washington probably deserved to be number one over Michigan. So, I mean, again, inconsistency amongst 13 human beings. But that really shouldn't be surprising.
0: We will get plenty of time to digest these games. But, Dad, you said it. National Championship. We've got four teams with a very real shot. We've got four very good teams, not one dominant or a great team. And that's going to make for a very entertaining romp through this. Oh, dad, I'm so glad I got to you in time. No, that is entirely wrong. The only way to serve Jaegermeister is ice cold. So wherever you're at, if you're hanging out with friends or you're at the bar or you're helping your dear sweet father try and get right, call the shots. Cheers with ice cold shots of Jaegermeister. Damn, that's cold. And remember to check out Jägermeister at www.draftkingsxjägermeister.com. Remember, drink responsibly. Jägermeister liqueur, 35% alcohol by volume, imported by Mast Jägermeister US, White Plains, New York.
2: Welcome back to Go, Joe and Golik. Our long national nightmare is finally over. The Jags are back on Monday Night Football. Now, the last time Jacksonville was here, They lost at home to Phillip Rivers and the then San Diego Chargers on December 5th, 2011. Jacksonville, Blaine Gabbert as their QB there. Pretty wild to see some of these names. Every team in the league, guys, has played on Monday Night Football at least seven times since Jacksonville made their last appearance. It's been a minute. Uh, Jags linebacker Josh Allen says that as long as the team keeps winning and is winning... The national recognition will come. We just got to keep on winning. We keep on winning, and then they see us in the Super Bowl. I don't really care less what people feel or how they see us. That's all, you know, that's, that's really, that's really how we rock, you know what I'm saying? Like, it is what it is. We win games, and you, you don't hear about us. It is what it is. All right, guys. Five and six Bengals. Eight and three Jags. Jags should win this one, right? And how many tweets do you think Emerson is going to be firing off today? He's actually oh, in Jacksonville gosh. right now. I I, oh,
1: I, I got he's I, I got to say really epicenter. quick. Let me throw in more on Josh Allen. Josh Allen works out in the off season in arizona and he was working out and it was right after the schedule uh came out he was scrolling through the schedule highlights and he actually screamed where he was working out because he saw that they were playing on monday night that's how excited he was and listen i was fortunate enough to play on a few monday nights and it is great and if i were in that position where they hadn't been on in so long and it's a rarity and they finally got on, i could see the excitement but i'm not gonna lie after the second or third one while it's cool you have a standalone my thought is always, what does this do to our schedule? You know, how does this Mm -hmm. affect our schedule for the next week and all that? And I'd always worry more about that than playing on Monday night and being, you know, the the lone game out there. Cool to do, very exciting, especially for a guy like Josh Allen. First time exciting for this team since 2011. Um, uh, So I I hope they do enjoy it and the, the bright lights that come with it.
0: Where were you as far as the night game schedule in general, Dad? Having to wait around all day for the game versus one of the early ones, the one o'clock window in college, like a nice noon. I game. was,
1: I was always let me play at one o'clock in the NFL and give me a noon game in college. I wanted to get up. I wanted to eat my uh, breakfast. And I was one of those guys you had to be at the stadium two hours before the game uh, when I was in the pros, and I would literally step in there two hours before the game. You know, as you old linemen, I mean, when I was in Philly, the old line left pregame left pre-game breakfast. We would have that about six thirty, seven in the morning for a 1 o'clock game. They would, because buses wouldn't even go at that point, they would all jump in cabs and go to the stadium at 7.30, 8 o'clock for a 1 o'clock game. I would literally walk into the stadium. I always took the last bus. I would walk into the stadium, and they would be fully with the lowers on, spatted up cleats, hands and thumbs taped to where their fingers were red. Hours before the game, it blew my mind that they that they could do that. But, hey, everybody does it differently, more power to them. So, Mike, I, I, I hated night games for the fact you just lay around. And you lay around because yeah. you think you need to be off your feet to not tire out your legs, but then you lay around all day and you're freaking tired from laying around all day.
0: So I, I, I did not like night games. It's like anything else. I think it's what you get used to. In the NFL, the, the primetime games are so infrequent that it's always almost always an inconvenience in college my senior year we played seven primetime games counting the national championship so we got really used to the schedule so I very much enjoyed going back to the room for my mid-afternoon nap blacking out the curtains and taking about a three hour nap after and I kid you not we went down and every night game we would have barbecued chicken macaroni and cheese and then me and my buddies would sit around and have milk and cookies before we went to go to our nap there that was a tried and true (laughs) tradition going well back before that season shout out to friend of the program Dane Christ, who used to sit there and butter his cookies while we were sitting around having our snack before we would all go up for that nap so once you find the schedule that works and once you know that's how you're going to be living for a while gets a little bit easier to deal with but i'm with you the joy of a nooner very few things like it um with this game dad the jacksonville jaguars have won seven of their last eight games this season it hasn't always been super pretty especially with this offense at times but cincinnati at this point dad i just don't know what they have in a world without joe burrow jake browning last week obviously struggled a little bit but the bengals i mean you had joe mixon who had 16 or eight carries for 16 rushing yards in the game last week jake browning was the only one other one who even had rushing yards logged in that game and when you're the Jacksonville defense and you can load up and really expect just one thing and not have to worry about that, their D-line already one of the strengths of their defense, I just don't see much recourse for a Cincinnati no. offense and then the defense that struggled along with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, the best thing that can help a backup quarterback is a running game. Right now, they're last in a league average of just under 76 yards a game. So they're not getting the benefit of that play action. I'm not going to respect, if I'm playing them, respect their running game at all, and I'm going to make this backup quarterback beat you that's what I'm going to do. So unless they can get into a lead to be able to just continue to pound the ball to burn the clock, uh, I think it's going to be difficult for them. On the other side, it's something you can speak to as well. This is the fifth offensive line combination now for Jacksonville. Uh, as we always talk about, a position group that needs to be uh, in step more than any other position group out there. So that can have an effect uh, as well. If this Cincy defense, which has been inconsistent, sometimes they look like world beaters, other times they don't. So which one are we going to get tonight? Can they make it uncomfortable? And that's what they're going to need to do. That's the other thing. When you have a backup, and we, hell, we went through this in Philly when we lost Randall, and we're going through different backups. You know when you're in that other side of the field meeting room that you say we got to step it up we got to back up for and so for cincinnati we got a backup quarterback we have got to pick up the slack on defense we have got to not only stop the team we have to get turnovers we have to create turnover and sometimes when you do that when you think we have to do this or we're going to lose sometimes you press sometimes all of a sudden instead of taking care of your responsibility You worry about the guy next to you's responsibility and you overstep and you try and do too much and things start to work against you. So it can be a positive if the the defense is together and create scenarios to help the offense. Or it can be a negative if things start to go downhill and you start to press too much on that side of the ball. 100%
0: 100% and that's a group that's already struggled a little bit this year it is a difficult mark to hit I mean see the New York Jets yesterday that defense and what they have continued to do in the face yep. of adversity of the quarterback exact, I, I don't have enough good things to say about the guys on the Jets defense and how they've overcome that but dad I think they also walked into the party with a lot more than the Cincinnati Bengals did on defense to start this yeah. season we've seen some of the guys in the Bengals defensive front get banged up and on the other side really for Jacksonville I think it's can you continue to keep your foot down on the gas on offense you got a good win where your quarterback and trevor lawrence went off against that houston texans team last week and you've had finally i think some consistency from calvin ridley start to show up at this point in the season Hundred over 100 yards receiving against tennessee 89 yards receiving a week ago there and as that relationship continues to bear fruit for them and trevor lawrence i think this offense finding a way outside of the opening game script to be really balanced and viable is going to be huge as they keep trying to check boxes going forward because dad I lump them in with the Detroit Lions where I'm still trying to figure out what we can expect their ceiling to be and the AFC picture has changed a lot around the Jacksonville Jaguars with all these quarterback injuries and so trying to figure out as they build to a crescendo what we can realistically put their ceiling at in the conference this year
1: yeah, and in the in the division now they do have four wins. They they swept Indy, so they're sitting in the three slot right now at nine and three. And you have Indy at seven and five, and you have Houston at seven and five. Uh, and they 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 swept Indy and they split with Houston. So sweeping Indy is, is going to help them, obviously. Uh, there are, as I said, a couple of losses in in the column ahead of Indy right now. So we'll see what they. But their expectation is more. Right? Their expectation is to win the division and to go further. When you get to the playoffs, it's to go further than you did before because your team and your personnel didn't take a step back. So the expectation is to go forward. And that's when they step on the field tonight, tonight in the lone game and the bright lights on Monday Night Football where these some of these young players are going to be like, God, we dreamed of this moment. How quickly get into your game, right? Get into your game, get past the bright lights once the ball is kicked off and play ball because you're a better team than a Joe Burrow-less Cincinnati Bengals, and you need to take care of that.
0: And with a win tonight, they could join the Miami Dolphins, the Baltimore Ravens, the 49ers, and the Lions, as well as the Cowboys, all sitting at 9-3 and three in what feels like that upper crust of the NFL uh, as they stare really only in their conference up at the Dolphins and the Ravens right now. Coming up next, though, let's talk about big cans and even bigger players making plays this weekend. Next.
2: It is time for the guys to take a look back at the weekend and give us their all weekend team. So we're going to have first team, second team and honorable mention. Fellas, who is getting the hardware, the honors after this weekend?
0: yeah crowded field this weekend as we had a lot of like big time football on the line we're getting into December in the NFL we had conference championship weekend in college football so we'll go honorable mention second team and first team and dad my honorable mention I'm actually gonna go off the board on this one to basketball we have now started to acknowledge and take notice of the fact that Tyrese Halliburton is playing like a top five player in the NBA and this past week they lost to the miami heat on thursday and they brought up tyrese Halliburton and all these great things that have been going on for him and he gave a quote that as he even said later on online is going to just be meme fodder for everyone which is i'm tired of being a loser i you know i just want to win he said you know the accolades are great being an all-nba player would be awesome but i'm tired of being a loser i just want to win games and so he was nursing an upper respiratory infection going into their second matchup against the miami heat this weekend and without Tyrese Halliburton, as they're getting ready for their now knockout or their uh, next round of the in season play in tournament coming up tonight, went out and beat the Miami Heat by fifteen without him. The Pacers shot sixty five point nine percent from the field, fifty percent from three, and had six players reach double digit scoring wow. with four getting over the twenty point mark. So they heard their leaders cry and they answered in a big way. And now we get to, on the in season tournament stage, see Tyrese Halliburton and these Indiana Pacers hope. Hopefully he's healthy and feeling better coming off that infection. Take on the Boston Celtics as we continue to love up this in-season stuff.
1: Yeah, he's, he's been fun to watch this year, for sure. So uh, we'll see where that goes. But, yeah, the, the, I love how the team responds uh, to one of their leaders in, in, in how he feels. That was very, very cool. My honorable mention is going to go to baseball card memorabilia still being relevant. I, 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 I did not. I thought that was by the wayside, right? But man, if you got one of these mint cards, you are still gonna make some money. A Babe Ruth 1914 baseball card went for the third most ever at $7.2 million. That's just recently now. Number two, there's a Honus Wagner card out there that went for 7.25. So just a little bit more than the Babe Ruth card. Still the top. Uh, is a 1952 Mickey Mantle card that went for $12.6 million. But, man, I, I, just 7.2 for a Babe Ruth card that had been handed down through generations and been kind of played with, you know, not just put away and minted, but kind of, you know, as a kid. Hell, we yeah. used to flip baseball cards in the, in the, uh, on the, the playground when I was in middle school. You know, knockdowns and who's closest to the wall and you keep the cards and and the one way to make it heavier if you had to knock something down is right before you flip the card, you spit on it to make it heavier and flip it. Could you imagine you're holding one of these great cards and not realizing you're spitting on it before you flip it into the wall? I mean, it's crazy.
0: Time travel and go back and slap your adolescent (laughs) grandfather while he's trying to devalue a card that's one day going to pay for your future bloodlines college fund. My God. uh you and we need to get you and greg cody in a room one day to talk about all the baseball baseball card activities from the prior world but dad let's live in the now and get to second team all weekend here i gotta give this one to everybody involved with the dr pepper tuition challenge at the big 12 championship because we had controversy legitimate controversy there gavin white of ohio state and ryan georgian of penn were squaring off there and i used to go and call this every year when i was working at espn i did it three times down at the big 12 challenge and we had we had to go into triple overtime. It ended up being a one-on-one matchup a ball off at the end of this after two overtime periods. Normally, once you went through two overtime periods, the rule was the person who had the higher score from the qualifying round the day before, the semifinal round that no one sees, would win it. This was a much better outcome, but it should have never gotten there. People on Twitter pointed out that it was scored improperly in the first overtime. Gavin actually won 6-5. It never should have gone to a second overtime, and he ended up ultimately losing in that Twitter sleuths went to work on this. And for once, dad, the internet that you asked earlier to be a lot nicer, actually did a good thing. And Dr. Good. Pepper remedied the situation by rewarding both of the players with the $100,000 in scholarship money there. So a rare dub for the internet and cooler heads prevailing in all of this, one of our nation's premier athletic competitions. That's awesome. you know. And, and every year
1: I hear people complaining, oh, I hate the chess pass, throw it like a quarterback. Who cares how they throw it? You know what a lot of these people were never in their lives? A quarterback. Or maybe never played football. So I'm going to sit there and get on them because they're not firing it through like Johnny Unitas or Patrick Mahomes. Get it in the bucket any way you can, man, and get that win. That's hundred grand toward your, your uh, uh, tuition. So I, I, I don't care how you get it in the, in the can. Get it in the can. My second teamer is going to Gardner Minshew. Quarterback for the Colts. Listen, this was a team that, understandably so, was going to start their rookie in Anthony Richardson, but had the wherewithal to get a smart, experienced quarterback. And, oh, by the way, Shane Steichen came from Philly. Gardner Minshew was in Philly. So, you said, let's get a backup who's a veteran, who can help the young guy, and knows the system we're going to play. And where are they right now? They're sitting in the sixth slot of the playoffs, Gardner Minshew just pulls off an overtime win against Tennessee after Tennessee kicks a field goal in overtime. Minshew hits Alec Pierce with a 55-yard pass at a four-yard line, and then the Pittman Jr. for the game-winning score. He has quarterbacked them to four straight wins. That's the most wins he's ever had in a row since he has been in the league. So here is a backup taking over for a team, and right now they are in the playoffs. And by the way, he's just a good dude. And you also want to see some dancing. Check
0: him out in the locker room on Twitter after
1: the game, dancing after that win. Hilarious.
0: We have spent a lot of time talking on this show and others about the paradigm of a Ryan Fitzpatrick, this fun wild card of a quarterback who becomes a journeyman late in his career and is able to do all these exciting things. And sometimes the, the you know stock goes the other way and things get chaotic. We are dealing with the first Gardner Minshew. He is a chaotic, jorts-wearing, van-living, <laughs> maniac of a quarterback who seems beloved by the guys that he plays with and just finds a way. I am happy that something like him exists in the NFL right now now. Dad, let's get to the first team, though, because I am even happier that we got large excellence on display. My new religion worships at the altar of Texas defensive tackle Tavondre Sweat, who moonlighted as a tight end during the Big 12 championship game. And this wasn't some garbage time nonsense. It was 14-7 late in the first quarter when 6'4", 362-pound Tavondre Sweat checked in as a tight end in a package that also, I believe, included the other defensive tackle, Byron Murphy, split out went out into the end zone was wide open and caught a beautiful touchdown grab and even threw up the heisman which dad as a voter i got (laughs) factor into the equation as i get ready to vote later today so congratulations to the longhorns for making the cfp you talked about picking washington before the season i picked texas to make the final four before the season i had no idea that i was going to get to witness large excellence on the grandest scale on the way to that prediction being right though
1: you know what I loved at halftime of that game when they went to the the uh, halftime uh, studio show, Booger McFarlane was on it, and they showed Booger's touchdown when he was at yeah. LSU. Same thing. It wasn't a defensive score. He was on offense and went out and caught a pass. I mean, it looked great, like a great athlete catching the ball. Uh, so that was very, very cool to see. All right, my all-weekend team, Mike, is a guy we both know, and what a weekend he had. It started out... Uh, he played in the, the concert before – or I think it was before, right before the SEC game. He was down in Atlanta playing a concert there. Uh, he is about to win our daily – our, our weekly DraftKings uh, fantasy football teams that we put together for Sunday's games. We have Monday night game tonight, but he is in the lead and has a player tonight, and he is not going to lose the lead. So he's going to win our weekly pool. And, oh, by the way, today, Darius Rucker – gets his Hollywood star uh, out in California. He gets on the, on, the, on the Walk of Fame. He gets his star today. I know you ran into some of the guys in the band, but very happy for a guy we've known for a long time, become a friend of this show, friends of other shows we've been on. So we had a hell of a weekend. It's going to be topped off today by a pretty, pretty big event. <laughs>
0: I love one of these things is not like the other. Darius got to play yeah. the concert before the SEC yeah. championship game is getting a star on the walk of fame. But oh, by the way, the handful of dollars he might take away from our <laughs> daily fantasy pool in our weekly tournament also he makes me the happiest stand about there. that. I was just going to say the competitor <laughs> in him and how much he loves all this stuff that might actually mean more at this point. So congratulations to Darius on that. Very cool to see him honored among some of the all time greats on the walk of fame. eligibility and deposit restrictions terms and responsible gaming resources all right guys time to finish off the show the way we always do and it has been a busy show uh with this that and the third three quick stories to send you off into the rest of your day as always make sure you download subscribe rate review Leave us that five-star rating. Check us out here live Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 a.m. Eastern, right here on DraftKingsNetwork.com, the DraftKings YouTube channel, which you should be subscribed to. Go ahead and smash the like button and wherever you get your podcast, Samsung TV+, Plus, Roku, all that good stuff. If you missed any of us, by the way, and there was so much to get to with Florida State being left out of the CFP, all the action from the NFL this weekend, check that out wherever you get your podcast, or right here on the YouTube channel once we get done with the live show guys let's get to this that and the third we had uh, in the nfl this weekend the my cleat my cause weekend where players get to use their cleats as a platform to showcase a cause that's near and dear to them a lot of charities get a lot of love it's a chance for guys to kind of show dad you've been able to do this right as a broadcaster calling nfl games with westwood one they've let you actually design a pair of cleats for yourself right
1: yeah they did i had the humane society last year so my shoes look like dogs uh, and I'd wear them around oh, pregame on the field where all the other players were wearing theirs uh, as well. So very cool thing that they do, and, and it's because we know the uniformity of the, the league. If your socks are too low, you're getting fined, and God knows you can't wear funky cleats. So I'm glad they give players this chance to,
0: to show their cause in, in My Cause My Cleats. And we see a lot of great causes, and then we see very interesting ones like this from Cleveland Browns star Miles Garrett, who debuted his My My Cause, My Cleats Jurassic Foundation tweets. Miles Garrett playing for the Jurassic Foundation, founded in 1998 by Universal Studios and Amblin Entertainment, the Jurassic Foundation is a nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing dinosaurian research around the globe. To date, we have contributed more than $850,000 in funding the scientific community, making them one of the largest private funders of dinosaur research around the world. Dad, is this research to find more fossils? Is Miles Garrett trying to create a real live Jurassic Park? Is that the only way he thinks he's gonna find peers? As someone who's a legitimate dinosaur or space alien himself, maybe this is him trying to genetically engineer some people that are physically on the same scale as him
1: so it doesn't surprise us that he does this because remember going to the draft he's a very philosophical person and there were there were those in the nfl that were saying man he's not 100 percent dialed into the nfl we're not sure how he's going to work on the field he kind of has other interests outside of football i think he shut all those people up incredibly well that you can actually be a well-rounded person having said that listen god love him he has. He loves this cause to help out dinosaur research. Not gonna lie, I don't care about dinosaur research. There were dinosaurs way back when. There are not dinosaurs unless there are still some living dinosaurs where I'm going to see them right now. Because you know, Jurassic Park. I, I, maybe Careful what if, you wish you're right. for. <laughs> are they going to yeah, genetically, exactly. you know, AI uh, dinosaurs maybe in the future? But uh, uh, hey, more power to him. He, He's he's always been kind of a, a different dude with his with his thought process. If this is a passion for him, more power to him.
2: Yeah, but I just wanna say it was founded in nineteen ninety eight and they've contributed eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars in funding, which seems low for that amount yeah. of time. Well So I, I, what's going yeah. on?
0: Well what I will say is it seems right because with a lot of causes out there and a lot of things that could be advancing toward and I'm not to say that anyone's cause is lesser but like I think right. of these causes like you want to do the things that are combating diseases and going to help yes. save lives here help. and it's yes. not to say Miles yes. Garrett shouldn't show this up but I'm saying that's the dollar amount I kind of expect for dinosaur research I'm not bespurching any archaeologist profession I appreciate what they do in uncovering history I like going to look at old bones in there and learning about where we came from and realizing that we still got some remnants of dinosaurs on earth and like you know chickens and sharks and crocodiles but that seems like the right number for this cause i think dad
1: i i 100 agree you know when you're talking about where you want to donate your money that's not going to be high on my list you know it is going to be for causes for people for diseases for kids uh for animals uh not dinosaurs but animals. animals uh, yeah, live oh, wow. animals so and things some like this.
0: get your money. Yeah. I see how it is. Yeah, yeah exactly. The ones that are alive. Uh,
1: But I love all animals. Uh, the, the greatest well, thing about maybe dinosaur research is if, if I somehow found a dinosaur bone and got paid like $100 million for it, then I'd love it.
0: That'd be pretty cool. Well, I can yeah. already hear super producer Brandon Newman in my ear saying that none of this is actually just because in his mind, dinosaurs are not real. So oh God, we go. can save that as a story for another yeah. day and move on to something that was very real. Jesse, uh, the NBA, we talked about Therese Halliburton a little earlier before, but Ime Udoka and LeBron James make it a little bit more of the news.
2: I was going to say a couple uh, not dinosaurs, but I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> LeBron James, a dinosaur for the NBA, not for the earth. Um, Imei Udoko was ejected for getting into it with LeBron. Now, these two go way back. Uh, Imei was in the league with him. So he gets ejected. I think they both got texts, and Ime got ejected from the game. And LeBron was asked about what they were talking about that had them so chippy. And they weren't, like, they were just talking to each other. It looked really serious. And he said Thanksgiving. And I think it's safe to assume they weren't talking about Thanksgiving.
1: The, The best thing about this video the best yes. is while they're talking to one another, the official is standing right there. And nobody's animated. I mean, they're just kind of talking. If if they're talking a little rough, you really can't tell. I didn't think anybody was really animated. The ref is standing there with the most ho-hum look on his face, looking at uh, Yudoko when he's talking, looking at LeBron when he's talking, just very calmly sitting there. And then all of a sudden puts a whistle in his mouth, puts up the T sign, points at LeBron – points at Udoka and throws him out because it was a second attack. It was hilarious. I mean, it was one of the most non-confrontational ejections, I guess technicals I should say, because it was Yudoka's second one that second. I think I've yeah. seen.
0: Well, the only thing I'll say is I need to hear from the people behind this because to me, the best part of the video was watching the fans behind this altercation and the horrified looks on their face for whatever was said between these two. So I need the tea from the people in that crowd because while the ref is paid to have a poker face and we see refs get all sorts of terrible things said to them by players. And so I think they're pretty numb to a lot of what goes on. They're just there to do the job. The fans in the crowd go back and look at the faces being made behind LeBron James and behind Ime Yadoka they tell a very different story and I'm excited to see on the internet if we can get to what the story was we fixed the Dr. Pepper tuition challenge the big 12 championship Hopefully we can get to the bottom of this as well. But Jesse, we need to get to the third and get Tiger Woods to get to the bottom of this arm routine. Drop it, brother, we are ready.
2: Yeah, his golf return happened at the Hero World Challenge, okay? So he comes back, triumphant return. It was his first PGA Tour event um, since playing in the Masters, right? So he finished even par, fired off a final round of 72 on Sunday finished 18th, but woo, the internet could not stop talking about those pythons, all right? His <laughs> bicep routine, like you said, Gojo, we need it. Please drop the routine. He's looking jacked, fellas. He's not been, you know, he maybe hasn't been doing leg day, but he has not been skipping arms.
0: Well, got a reason for that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Understandable. And you know what? What better way to take people's eyes off the part of your body that you've had to surgically repair and do all this stuff? And we're so glad. Having Tiger Woods back out in the golf course. Awesome. All the stuff that him and Rory have going on outside of golf right now as they try and pop up some of these PGA tangent leagues to become a better entertainment product. All pumped for. But an easy distraction is, man, when you got two tickets to the gun show, nobody's going to be talking about legs or socks or anything like that. We're all going to be looking. He busted out the sleeveless shirt. Dad knows exactly what he's doing. Chestnut checkers. So, gray.
1: Listen, so here's a guy, we go way back to when he started, was a skinny kid that wore baggy clothes, baggy pants, baggy shirt, right? And then, I mean, for most of his career, he was put together. Right, he was in. He looked great in, in his slacks and in his and in his, especially that red shirt on Sunday. You're like, okay, dude, and t- to the point where people even questioned how he was looking like that. Now he understands his game isn't what it is. He said, if he plays a tournament a month, that probably is the goal. This is the first time he's finished. You know all the rounds. That's I believe the master. So his golf game is not where it is. So I'm with you, Mike. I think he's like, okay, my golf game's not where it is. My legs a little bit messed up. I am gonna get yoked. I am absolutely gonna get stoked out here and say, people look at that instead of maybe my game not being as good as
0: it's been.
2: He's also single, so. Oh. Just saying.
0: See which way to the beach. It's all out there. He might not be playing golf to failure anymore, but those curls in the squat rack are all reps to failure, brother. I can tell you that much. (laughs) Uh, If you enjoy curling in the squat rack and listening to podcasts, maybe we're the one for you. Download, subscribe, rate, review. Leave us that five-star rating. Enjoy Monday Night Football. We'll talk to you tomorrow.